0: Hello and welcome to Growth Uncut, a podcast that interviews different people from around the world to share their views on personal growth. We feel passionately about connecting communities and raising awareness around social justice, humanity and relationships. And today I'm really lucky to be joined with Dr. Kerry Devitt. Hello, Kerry. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Hi. So great to have you um, on Growth Uncut and it'll be really great to talk to you a little bit about personal growth and the things that inspire you and value you. Uh, and you value so um tell us a little bit about yourself to start off
1: um well yeah as said um, my name's Kerry. um i am a senior researcher at kent surrey and sussex community rehabilitation company um so uh i'm sure everyone knows but just for a bit of clarification um community rehabilitation companies work with the to medium level offenders which is approximately 70 percent of all of those on probation um, so my role looks at conducting research um, around various aspects of probation practice um, and it involves work with frontline probation staff, so case management staff, um, programmes facilitators, community punishment supervisors, um, those kind of groups. Um, service users, um, so those who are um, in touch with um, probation services um, and the families of service users as well. Um, just to give a little little bit of uh, background, um, the projects we kind of look at are how frontline staff conceptualise and, and, and enact probation work. Um, we are involved uh, with a number of evaluations of programmes and services. Um, so looking at domestic abuse programmes, restorative justice, supported housing. Um, yeah, all, all manner of things to, to try and improve the way that um, probation service um, services are delivered um yes and before that I was a former lecturer at Portsmouth where I of course met you
0: fantastic yes absolutely and we shared a room and it was pretty awesome wasn't it um during that time <laughs> so, uh, yeah and, and it sounds like you've got a variety of, of work that you do and that must be that must be really great in terms of I guess getting the, those kind of different perspectives from different people um but for you what would you say is, is personal growth what does personal growth mean to you Kerry well
1: um, yeah, I'm, I'm like, uh, um, Fergus, uh, I listened to his podcast before as well. Um, I did cheat and look at the questions first, um, just to, to stop the inevitable waffle that is me. Um, <laughs> but I actually, I actually, found that the question really flew out to me, um, because I think I've been going through such a period of it myself over uh, the PhD kicked it off. But for me, it's about being able to self-reflect and to challenge yourself to uh, interrogate your own ideas and ways of thinking um and I, I was trying to think of a, like a, a nice little metaphor for it but I guess it kind of fell to me when I was thinking about it and I thought about being able to be your own critical friend um but usefully so I'm, I'm quite a, like self-critic I criticize myself a lot for things but I've learned to kind of have that critical friend sitting with me without you know it is a tool of self-flagellation but actually to usefully reflect on the way in which i imprint myself on the world um and yeah more broadly perhaps it's importantly for me about letting you maybe uncomfortable ideas settle you know mm-hmm. within you and, and kind of form part of that future narrative um it, sh- I, shaping the way i guess that you see the world without those preconceptions that you you bring with you that who that who you are that how you've experienced the world, try and, to try and, like challenge those. And that's a hard thing to do. Um, especially for me, who's a bit of a, you know, has this tendency to be a right old know-it-all, actually kind of like letting that go and go, well, there are other ways of, of seeing things. And I think, you know, I, I guess I always say, if I if you can't look at yourself back of like 10, 20 years and have a little bit of a cringe about the things you were saying and doing then, I don't think you're doing it right. So there's going to be an element of that for me. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I think there's something there about openness, isn't there? And I think um I think it's really interesting what you say about being uncomfortable. And I say that a lot within mm, within mm. the work that we do really. And I remember I used I went to a, a residential where we were training to deliver, I think, a thinking skills program in the community. And there was a facilitator there and she said, if you're feeling uncomfortable, then you need to embrace that because you're yeah. ultimately growing, you're learning because yeah. you're out of that comfort zone. And we talk a lot about that in terms of just riding that fear isn't it it's riding yeah. that fear of of just feeling that kind of slight slightly un, you know uncertainty um particularly at these times um is uncomfortable and I guess through this we can grow um and I think that's really important isn't it um, yeah absolutely mm. so um so looking at what you kind of value what what kind of things would you say are the things that you value in life at the moment
1: I found this this one was a bit of a tricky one when I was writing down because I found myself in like one word answers. Um, so I thought, first of all, I was thinking of like practical, physical things. Um, and the first thing that came to me was space and time to think and reflect. So. I, I, when that's denied, I feel claustrophobic. So there's, there's a definite part of me that has um, that need to process um and that i value that incredibly highly and i think that's again linked to this notion linked to that notion of growth hmm. um nature i've i've become a bit of a, a rambler in 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 as i as i progress solidly into my 40s i've got fairly into like crossword puzzles and rambling but you know there's a lot to be <laughs> there's a lot to be said for it um so i've been doing like you know kind of quite epically long um walks but i do a lot of my good thinking there um so yeah being in nature has been a big thing but that actually tied to something else for me which was freedom um mm-hmm. and I was thinking about that concept of freedom and I, I often one of the things when I teach um you know it was when when I used to when I was starting lecturing I used to have um a thing that I would do with new students when they would come in at the beginning um of any new um university course and I'd always them to reflect on prison and i say you know what 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 do you think about the rights of prisons what do you think about the purpose of prison and and, um and one of the things that didn't come up with the regularity that i thought was that loss of liberty Mm -hmm. which was something that's so fundamentally important to me um and again i was kind of thinking back in why this was so pertinent to me but i I quite often i'll have dreams when i feel stressed I i dream about being Um, sentenced to prison and I have this flood of feelings about everything that I feel I'll I'll lose from that and Mm. it's one of the things that I find the hardest about understanding the purpose and value of prison and trying to kind of conceptualize it and knowing the thing that I hold so dearly that's being denied to the people that are experiencing that so yeah freedom is a big one for me
0: yeah I think that's really interesting and I remember um, a distinctive moment when I first went to Norway and I met this incredible advisor, Gerard Plung, who was just an absolute, is an absolute legend. And um, I remember walking around and just thinking, how can this place be a deterrent? You know, it was so beautiful in terms of that nature, in terms of, I guess, that that principle of normality in, in Norwegian prisons. And I said, you know, why? surely this isn't a deterrent and he looked at me really straight and really simply and he said never underestimate what it feels like to lose your liberty Mm. um and i just kind of thought it just really hits home doesn't it yeah um that freedom of choice that freedom of mobility um right now the freedom to contact to contact loved ones and to connect with loved ones um and ultimately all these things that um you know are negotiated in terms of i guess the illicit economy in terms of maybe getting a mobile phone some of these things i think are just mechanisms by which they try and create more freedom isn't it if i have a yeah. mobile phone i've got freedom over who i can contact and 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 where i am you know um i have a freedom of choice in terms of whether i use drugs or whether i don't use drugs but there is a choice there isn't there yeah, i think yeah, um, yeah i think uh yeah i've certainly appreciated freedom a lot more since since lockdown and, and i guess getting that kind of taste of what it must feel like um to to be restricted and to be socially immobile yeah um and then extrapolating that out into you know what that looks like for prisoners and prisoners families is just you know it's pretty pretty tough stuff isn't it really yeah yeah absolutely yeah um okay so um moving on to I guess inspiration so my next question is who has inspired you and why
1: well this is my chunky section um I I kind of, you know, I, uh, initially I started to go to individual people, um, and then I think it broadened out from that. But I, I, there was one, you know, there's one individual that really sticks out for me, um, and I knew it even from the second I saw the question. It's actually my um, my little girl, um, and I'm having spent so much time with her recently. Um, with the pandemic going on, she's she's only just started school this year. Um, and she's at home a lot and, and I, I, I look at her and, and her capacity for warmth and love and compassion and and just to be so outstandingly selfless um, in a way that I just don't have naturally in me. I like I have to. I, yesterday, like I was like being all dramatic age, you know, my, my big old age of 43, throwing myself on the bed because I had sore legs from doing a hit workout. And she was like, mummy, can I get you anything? Are you okay? And then was like, stroking my head. And I'm like, just the 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 sheer inspiration that she gives me to be a good person mm. um, has been second second to none. So yeah, that's my only individual. Yeah. Well, not my only individual, but like the one that stood out to me. Um, there's loads of people that do inspire me. Um, more broadly, and I guess this kind of gets on to a, a different issue for me. Um which has been listening to the voices of specifically black women, um and in the broader category, I'm I'm I, I I'm struggle with the term BAME, so I'm actually gonna say black women, Asian women and that all-encompassing term minority ethnic women. But I've like my feminism has definitely progressed in a way that I never expected it to by like truly listening to the voices of um other women and how they experience the world um, mm-hmm. so i guess this kind of ties in a little bit theory wise though so throughout the course of my phd i started in to increasingly engaged with intersectionality critical race theories um, and critical theories more broadly um, and my phd wasn't directly to do with race issues but looked at the life stories of young men and how they explain their lives um, and i wanted to be able to hear those perspectives from their uh, those stories from their perspective and and you can't just announce yes, I will listen to it from their perspective. It mm. requires work to be done before that. You know, I am a white middle-class professional researcher, lady woman, um, and I needed the learning in place to be able to read their narratives, read their life stories with more understanding about where they might be coming from. Um, mm. So, yeah, the voices of these women, um, I think some that might be familiar at the moment because of the Black Lives Matter movement that's been going on, but um Edo Lodge... Um, Ijeoma Aluau, um, a therapist, clinical psychologist that I love, um, Ghislaine Kinwani, um, a writer, Bolo Babalola. I was actually, these are names that, I, I follow these women on Twitter um, and the things that they write, the things that they talk about have been so shaping in terms of how I've understood and enacted on the world, I guess. Mm-hmm. um and i, th- I think when i talk about it, great again i think back i joined this university discussion group um at portsmouth about uh, 5 6 years ago and um so I, w- I wanted to do something beyond just being part of a committee that we had to do but actually a you know a, a, like kind of living in my practice as it were mm-hmm. and um I, I went boldly into this group and we were talking about what we were there and i said i um, you know i love i love because it's a great leveler everyone goes in and we're all coming from the same place and um a couple of people like me nodded. Yes, yes, I agree with you, Karen. What a great point. And this incredibly patient woman um, sitting up at the table, um, considerably kinder, kinder than I deserve, pointed out my error there um, and was like, well, actually, it's not. That's, that's the point. It's not the great leveller. Um, and I guess that goes back to that growth thing. Mm. These kind of voices have helped shape and inspire me to trying I don't know effectively do less harm in the world by being more educated
0: Mm. I absolutely love that and I think um I think there's so much going on at the moment in terms of um in terms of inequality in terms of the, the expression of that and I think there's just something um like you say having that space to reflect on that and and being open i guess it links back to that idea around openness isn't it mm, that openness mm. to then be receptive to actually you know trying to perspective take on a different level that's that's you know in some senses of greater authenticity i think i think that's mm. um it's important mm. it's important to see people and to hear them and i think those senses are really important within our work and the way in which we see growth is it's about recognizing those things that we can we can see what's what's going on in in some senses with with people um but if we're really if we're really distant if we're really far away psychologically um then that willingness isn't there is it it's about that kind of inhumanity it's about that being far away and therefore we don't see and we don't hear and we don't we don't taste what that feels like i think there's there's um you know i think relational distance is really important yeah um So yeah, so that moves us on to the next question, which is, um, what is your biggest challenge, and what did you learn from it? I,
1: I I went two places. Like first of all, I read it as like challenge generally, um, and through listening to one of your other podcasts, kind of put it in the criminal justice um, kind of sphere. So I'm going to answer both, like personally and professionally, but. in the in the criminal justice content it, it, like it, for me it was about um the biggest challenge being about meaningful um rehabilitation um and i guess that kind of also fits into personal um focus for me because having meaning in what i'm doing is so important um i was i was quite dis- dismayed to kind of see the ministry of justice announcement That came out just recently about prisons being built to rehabilitate one, but ultimately to bolster the economy and support construction industry. And I, I, I could feel myself being like, this, this, this for me is such. This is a challenge. This is a problem of criminal justice where that focus needs to be. If it was ever, if it's going to be focused out of like punishment, it needs to be focused on rehabilitation. So I felt that that was going to present personal challenges for me as well as I work in this this sector um yeah so I guess that's that's quite separate um from what I would say for personal Um, and my personal one um I just I I wanted to say kind of (laughs) I didn't know if I could say it is childbirth which fairly quite personally challenging um but (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah
1: (laughs) But um, perhaps perhaps it was it was my second baby birth, which was the uh, the PhD thesis. Um, And yeah, it it was a long time coming um, and it reflected the personal journey that I had. And, you know, I look back, you know, we all become confucius at a time of uh, at at a time of reflection when we've when when we need that kind of guidance. But I, I do think perhaps it needed to be that long for me to get to the thinking of where I am now and and like I still you know I can't look at it without cringing at parts of it because you know as proud as I am it's it's still um it's still quite raw but I think Mm. it does reflect who I am now and it took that time to come out so yeah I would say it was my biggest challenge but um other than my child my biggest success
0: yeah brilliant absolutely brilliant and um i guess moving on to our kind of final question really which is quite maybe quite a large question in its right and we could we could almost talk all day about it but um uh the question is if you could improve one thing to grow our communities and make them safer and happier healthier places what would what would that one thing be
1: again you're right it is a huge kind of question there's many things that that could be but like one stood out for me absolutely hugely um and for me it's it reflects to what I was talking about earlier, a true and honest understanding of structural racism. So how it permeates institutions, societies, beliefs, how it's embroidered in every aspect of our lives. I i, I myself um, it's, you know, don't study race and the criminal justice system explicitly, but it's in everything I do uh, and I study in some way. And I feel, for, I've had this recently, I feel for the first time I'm having conversations, like real conversations with other white people predominantly about where the problems and challenges are and, and I feel like I'm going into a time now asking myself like I've I've always kind of been from that like liberal view like how can we change how can we make things better you know for example why are so many young black men in the criminal justice system but instead of asking those mm-hmm. questions like how are we going to make that better how are we going to improve their life come life outcomes when they come out I'm asking what I feel now are the more important questions how can we dismantle the systems that put them there in the first place? And that's what I think we need to be focusing on.
0: And I and I guess it's an on question, but um what do you reckon is the first step there? And and maybe maybe there's some reflection in terms of the things that we've talked about, but what what do you think is that's a massive task, isn't it? Mm. And and it's so overwhelming. Um what would be our first step? You know, what what would you suggest?
1: I think it's it's the conversations that need to happen. We need to be having those conversations all the time. It can't be special groups that are set up to talk about diversity and race in the criminal justice system. Uh, I, I remember um, hearing David Lammy speak at the Criminal Justice Management Conference um, a couple of years ago, and knowing the value of that piece of work but feeling like it should, that should be embedded in everything we do it shouldn't it should, like As actually heard him speak again the other day and he's like you know we, we've had all these reports we've had all these kind of recommendations we need to start enacting them now we need to be yeah. talking and enacting and so that people can feel that those differences are being at least addressed maybe not made straight away, but like that something's happening and they're not being deflected by another report, another investigation, another set of recommendations, it needs to have conversation and that needs to lead to direct action um and yes, it is a huge thing to do, but for what for good or for bad i'm I'm going to be part of it. I want to be part
0: of it. yeah, absolutely. thank you so much um and I guess part of that conversation is is today, so in some sense it's about getting out there and the whole purpose of growth uncut was about you know really kind of magnifying those voices and you know I'm very aware that we've got some incredible people all over the world doing lots of different jo- lots of different jobs all contributing to I guess the same thing and uh, if we can connect those up then then that's a powerful place to be so thank you so much for your time and it was great to chat to you.
1: No problem, good to see Sarah.
0: Thank you for listening to Growth Uncut. If you'd like to find out a little bit more information about the work that we do, please visit www.penalreformsolutions.com or follow us on Twitter on Penal Reform Solutions or even support us on Patreon through the link www.patreon.com growthmovement. Thanks for listening and catch you next time.